Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast episode where I want to introduce you to uh, one of my books called Speaking From Our Hearts and what this particular edition has is a um, 15, 15 inspirational stories from global co-authors uh, from Zimbabwe, from South Africa, America, Canada, the UK, Spain. Um, there's a wide there's a wide cross-section of people sharing their stories from pain to prosperity and the idea of the book was I could get people's messages, inspirational messages across to, to other people so that uh, essentially that, that we as listeners, we wouldn't have to pay that price that they've paid to, to progress our lives because some of these are quite harrowing stories. In fact, they're very harrowing stories. There's, there's stories in there from addiction, violence, um, adultery, loss of a child, you know, all the cross cross-sections of life that, that causes, as, uh, as I say, significant pain and suffering. So what I'd like to do, if I can, is just share with you, um, certainly start by sharing my own story from, from the book, which is called Emerging from the Forest. And uh, it may be useful just to give you an insight into the introduction of the book, first and foremost. This book has been put together with a twofold purpose in mind. Firstly, to offer real-life stories, insights and messages which will hopefully serve to inspire you to want to be more and love more. Secondly, but equally important, is to then have the awareness that you'll be able to give more, make a difference and leave a positive legacy. So that word legacy, it's interesting to hear about people's understanding of the word legacy. Um, and some of us are already very clear and driven towards achieving what legacy means to them, whereas others probably don't even realise they are contributing towards a legacy in some way every single day of our lives. Um, it's an interesting one. So this thought-provoking contrast is encapsulated in a quote from Oprah Winfrey as she turned to her friend and mentor, Maya Angelou, and stated, Mayo, I was so proud of myself for building a school for girls in South Africa. That's going to be my greatest legacy, this school. Mayo replied with her sage words, You have no idea what your legacy will be. Your legacy is every single person who watched your show and said, I'm going to take better care of my health. Every mother who saw a show on abusing children and said, I will never hit my child again. To be able to do that, that's your legacy. Your legacy is every life you ever touch. So, I want to use that really as, as a foundation for, for people to, to consider what the word legacy means to them. And, um, and just as our own understanding of the word legacy will be subjective, what it means to us, um, so too will our individual perceptions of two other key words in this book, pain and prosperity. So for me, very simply, pain has become a positive lever to gain awareness to change 
I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. And that's been strong enough and powerful for me to change my life. And prosperity, what does that mean? In very simple terms, it means living a fulfilling life, a life worthwhile. So let's have a look at the uh, let's have a look at the story then. And throughout the book, there's these things called wows, um, which are basically one or two liners, words of wisdom. So here we go then. So emerging from the forest. Wow. You cannot change what you aren't aware of. Awareness is the starting point and a solid foundation for growth and change. Although I now enjoy a life of prosperity split between the UK and Spain, I spent most of my life living in Nottingham in England, embroiled for decades in an existence of deep-rooted emotional pain and suffering, fueled by a volatile cocktail of alcohol addiction and violence. During my colourful journey, dominated by a polarised black or white approach to life, I had a strong urge to write a book. And so in 2000, I self-published The Game of Life, Half-Time Reflections. This was an autobiographical account of my challenging journey during the first four decades of my life. Although I now perceive it to have been really badly written, people still feel back to me that it's a good book and well worth the £5 investment I charged at the time. However, my cringe factor is alleviated somewhat by the fact it made me £3,000 in profit. Not bad for someone who took a risk and didn't really know what he was doing. Wow, be prepared to try different things. It's amazing what growth there is in embracing something new. Step out your comfort zone. So as I, as I contemplate the colourful journey my life has unfolded to produce, I believe it's been one hell of a journey. After my parents split up when I was three, my mother and I moved to an inner city council area called Bestwood Estate to live with my grandmother, Winnie. We were soon joined by a beautiful mongrel dog called Rocky. Boy, how I love that dog. Although we were extremely poor, I recall fond memories of those impoverished days, until the age of about seven, that is, because that's when my mother started seeing a man who lived next door to us, and a year later, in 1968, she married him. As much as I look back on the first eight years of my life with pride and happiness, nostalgically reflect upon a golden era of indulging my passion for music and football and very polarised in my recollections because of my new stepfather's despicable, destructive and depraved behaviour and how it changed my life for the worse. Starting out with random acts of abuse, neglect and mental cruelty towards my mother and me, he progressed on to consistent spates of sickening violence towards us both. This beast knew no bounds to his levels of cowardly, grotesque actions. Wow, let go of the pain from the past, but not the lessons learned. As a result of this marriage, we uprooted from my beloved Bestwood and moved to the other side of Nottingham, to the countryside. Now for a city boy like me, this was a living hell. All the love and security I had ever known was removed from my world and I felt so desperate and sad. My certainty had been taken away from me. Contact with my grandma Winnie, my passion for listening to music and above all the dream that maybe one day I would become a Nottingham Forest player. My whole existence had become an un unstable mess almost overnight. 
The country boy kids didn't like football and the beast deliberately deprived me of the two fervent passions in my life. This acute loss lasted for two long distressing years until my exile was temporarily over. I can still recall the elation at the tender age of almost ten when my mother told me she was leaving the beast. In September 1970, I returned for the final year of my old junior school and passed my 11 plus exam, which gained me a place at the nearby grammar school, all boys grammar school. I was now back home and free to enjoy my music and Nottingham Forest. Life was blissfully good once again. However, this euphoria turned out to be short-lived on several counts. Firstly, I'd begun to feel very insecure and depressed because of the cruelty to my mother and, 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 and me by the beast. This scarred me more badly than I'd first realised and the negative legacy was to live on for years. Secondly, football was banned from the grammar school. It was steeped in a tradition of playing rugby and any mention of football was frowned upon by the mostly Victorian-style masters presiding over us. However, if these two aspects caused me distress, they were nothing compared to what transpired later. Within a few weeks, my mother was reunited with the beast and once again my world was shattered. This marked the start of another three tortuous years. All his promises of change and happiness soon disappeared and the violence and heartlessness returned with a vengeance. And all this before the age I was barely 11 years old. I tried running away from home a couple of times and nervously slept rough on the nearby common. My only salvation through this living hell was the fervent belief that I would one day be playing for my Nottingham Forest Football Club, my beloved football club. But this obsession was gradually being challenged by a newfound coping mechanism, the demon drink. My mother was a secret drinker and by the age of 12, I was regularly helping myself to tots from her stashes of sherry and whiskey. I became addicted. I was at breaking point and my ever-growing instincts for survival were being tested to the limit. And by now, the cruelty and violence I was experiencing at the hands of the beast was having a dramatic knock-on effect to me, compounding by witness my mother taking regular beatings from him too. In March 1974, after significant back-to-back -back defeats for my beloved football team, Nottingham Forest, I realised that the demon drink was unable to sufficiently numb the effects of my physical, mental, emotional and what I now know to be spiritual pain. And as such... I decided to, to commit suicide. This was one of those fight or flight moments and I'd made a decision never to flee again. I somehow had the faith to accept there was a reason for this test and obviously I didn't commit suicide. I had, I had what I suppose is a, um, a eureka moment. It's very hard to put into words what actually happened on that fateful Saturday night of the 23rd of March. Uh, but it was profound. And one of the reasons that I've now come to understand over the years, looking back, and I certainly wasn't aware of that at the time, if I was experiencing this heartache and suffering, then surely others would be too. And I was prepared to fight for them, consciously accepting that my, my life now had a purpose. So what that led me to understand is, wow, a decision to change your life can be made in an instant. 
Such was my anguish at home that I was now creating a diversionary tactic. I was developing another character, a pseudo character, one that would allow me to escape and become somebody else, a facade that was perceived by others um, as me being a no-nonsense hard nut, not caring about anyone or anything, which actually couldn't have been further from the truth. By the time I was barely 16, my passion for music was becoming irrelevant and being replaced by the call to fight for others. And this, along with my love for Forrest, gave me a strong sense of identity and purpose. My passion for Forrest was beyond most people's comprehension, even the many diehards, red-shirted, red-shirted supporters even, that, that I mix with. Looking back, I believe this extreme passion was a manifestation of an all-or-nothing mindset. There was no in-between, there was no grey in-between. Forrest gave me an identity at a time when I had effectively lost my own. Wow, your identity is not about your history. It's about what you create for yourself. By now, I find myself strongly drawn towards the Irish fraternities, regularly visiting the allotments, brackets, man caves, of the menfolk on Sunday mornings for a nip or two of Pacini. And Pacini's homemade Irish potato wine, which is very, very, very strong. And, and, and engrossed in tales of bare knuckle fighting on the west coast of Ireland. Although I was naturally a loving, caring and sensitive type of child, I developed a safety mechanism that kept people at arm's length. This front was displayed by an aggressive and confrontational persona. In fact, I was living a massive lie. In November 1974, things came to a head and changed for me forever. After being kept behind at school for a detention, I knew that returning home late that afternoon would mean big trouble. In fact, just returning home meant big trouble always. There didn't need to be a reason, but this particular one was significant. I was trembling with anticipation as I sprinted home with all the nervous energy of a hunted gazelle. As I entered the back door, the inevitable happened. The beast attacked me mercilessly. I somehow weathered the onslaught and wiped the streams of crimson blood from my face. As I did so... I caught sight of a bread knife on the kitchen table. I lunged for it and took my stance with only one thought in my mind, and it wasn't to cut bread. The hunted had become the hunter now. My temper was so fierce, like that of a caged and tormented tiger. This was the first time I'd become conscious of my ability to take control of my life away from the beast. Like all bullies, when threatened with their own treatment, he simply cowered away. The anticipated brutal escalation having not materialised, my mother and I simply packed our bags and left, with me vowing to the beast that one day I would return and get my revenge. No matter how long it took, I would get my revenge. This proved to be a very significant turning point in my life because all of the emotional pain I had suffered over the previous few years, I now find myself more alcohol dependent than ever, at the same time becoming embroiled in a constant in constant conflicts and fights. As I progressed beyond my teens, one of the lowest points of my life occurred on New Year's Eve 1982 with the news that my grandma Winnie had died. As an old school matriarch, she had been so resilient, strong and was as solid and as tough as a majestic oak tree. After Winnie's death, to say I wage war on society would be a massive understatement. I took it upon myself to be judged jury and executioner towards any Tom, Dick or Harry whom I perceived to be a bully, I was now a rebel with a definite cause. 
For a while, though, sheer willpower and determination saw me turn things around. At the age of 23, I got married, and by 27, I had two beautiful children and a third on the way. However, the cracks always reappeared, and I never managed to consistently curb my drinking. The demon drink had me in its vice-like clutches and wasn't prepared to let go. In June 1988, some 14 years on from my suicide attempt, I reached rock bottom in my life. I split up from my wife and kids and began to drift into complete oblivion. Like all of those heavy drinkers, like those of all heavy drinkers, my thought processes had become badly distorted and I couldn't rid myself of the memories relating to the previous torture and abuse. I constantly lived every slap, punch and sadistic act the beast had delivered to my mother and me. It was at this point I finally confronted the beast. I decided to do it after 14 years of making that vow. And all these years of hatred had been allowed to fester. And in my emotionally twisted logic, it was now time to redress the balance for all the anguish, pain, suffering he'd caused. And the upshot was that I saw it in my duty to kill him. To rid society of something so, so, what well, words fail me. But the universe intervened with both our lives being spared, his from death and mine from serving a life sentence in prison. Wow, learn to control your thoughts or else they'll control you. Coming so close to totally ruin my life instigated another dry run. I was reunited with my family, I got a good job and I was starting to do what I'd been put on this earth to do, help others. However, my significant fundraising exploits would always be tested by heavy drinking binges. Subsequently becoming unemployed in 1991, I decided to embark upon a long phase of learning spanning over a decade that resulted in me achieving a teaching degree and a master's degree. My studies fitted in around disciplined periods of abstinence from the drink before I inevitably reverted back to wild benders. More importantly than the academic achievement was the process of continuous improvement that resonated with me. In retrospect, this philosophy was instrumental in laying the foundations for my personal development journey. I was greatly inspired by the prospect of becoming the best I could be and then serving others. While this was an admirable focus, I was still dealing with my own demons. My views on life were very polarised. Life was either black or white and I really showed any flexibility. In fact, I didn't show any flexibility, especially in matters of potential conflict. Wow, the greatest investment you can make is in yourself. If you don't believe in you, how will anyone else? Irrespective of this, I look back over the decades and reflect on what lessons I've learned and how these can be passed on for the benefit of others. Lessons not necessarily in an academic sense, but in a real practical life improving context. Put simply, I don't want people to learn the hard way like I did. I want them to learn from my mistakes and my pain and my suffering rather than them having to pay that price. The breakthrough in my constant progress stroke sabotage cycle appeared after an almighty drink, uh, binge drinking session. On the 7th of February 2010, I barely awoke from a drunken stupor. I thought I was going to die. I believed my time had come. Throughout the following critical days, I somehow mastered or mustered 
the awareness that life would have to be very different if I survived. And somehow I knew I was going to survive as tough as it was. Obviously, I did survive. And to this day, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since then. And one of my founding beliefs that the, one of the only ways out of the hard-fought days in Bestwood would be sport or education. And after spending so many years believing sport was the answer and I'd play for Nottingham Forest, I find it ironic that education and learning proved to be my salvation. A byproduct of my education was a poem I, I wrote about the demon dream, which was, was subsequently published. It's called A Question of Bottle. A man in his prison cell, all alone and he's down. His eyes are all bloodshot and his face wears a frown. One way or another, a life behind bars. He once had it all, fast money, fast cars. But now he's broken and everything is lost. The legacy of booze, was it all worth the cost? He needed his tipple to help him get by. Now everything's gone, he wished he'd stayed dry. The drink was a comfort when things got too tough. At night he felt numb, in the morning just rough. The lies and the violence he promised would cease. But booze had control and never gave peace. Tears stroke his cheeks as he thinks of it now. Perhaps he would change, if only he knew how. It's a question of bottle and which one to choose. The one full of love or the one full of booze. Neither are easy and both promise gains, but one offers hope, the other just pains. So when you're alone with only booze as your friend, reach out for support. It's easier in the end. Even in my darkest hours, I had a sense of purpose, albeit vague, that's continued to grow over the decades. Today, my, my awareness manifests itself in the work I do as a coach and mentor and through the various charity and community projects uh, I'm involved in. I'm committed to make a positive difference in others' lives and never more so than since the formation of, of the Hearts brand, Hearts being an acronym for helping everybody achieve results towards success. I now recognise that all those years in the dark soil were merely part of a, a planting exercise for when the environmental conditions were right for me and for this particular acorn to transform into a thriving oak tree, making significant contributions to life's universal and metaphoric forests. I stopped living a lie and reclaimed my true identity as being a loving, caring and sensitive person. I've come to understand the importance of love for myself and others as the emotional water in life's deserts. I know the benefits and positive impact of constantly striving to meet your needs for growth and contribution. But imagine what my life would have been like if the pieces of my jigsaw had contributed towards creating a completely different picture. Can you imagine what my life would have been like if my mother hadn't married the beast in August 1968? As a result, I wouldn't have endured long-term pain and suffering, which forged my vision to leave the world a better place. So what might my life have been like if I hadn't made that suicidal fight-or-flight decision in March 1974, vowing to never become a victim again, instead commit to a lifetime's journey of learning? In September 1991, what would life have been like if I had made the decision to discover self-awareness and the importance of relationships and loving? And what would life have been like if in October 2010 I hadn't formed Hearts as a brand, 
positively affecting thousands of lives and leaving a global legacy. Although the past cannot be changed, it will contain some colourful pieces that can be used to create new empowering picture for your life. I did that with my three pillars of life approach. At the beginning of this story, I alluded to my life being one hell of a journey. The reality is it can be summed up in its entirety, as I believe uh, life can for each of every one of us, by the three L's, learning, loving and legacy. Wow, leave your legacy in people's hearts, then it becomes indelible. So that, listeners, is my emerging from the forest. That's the short story. I actually then did a, a full um, a full version of that in another book where I really went into detail. But that's that's uh, that's another time, another place. I'm just really, really want to share this, speaking from our hearts, um, some chosen stories uh, from the 15 co-authors. Not all of them. I'll probably pick about four, four or five maybe, another four um, on top of, of what I've already um, quoted to you over the next few episodes. Um, just, just with the... Hope that um, there's some inspiration, there's some, there's some learning in there, um, and, and as a result, your life will be uh, will be better. So, thank you for listening. Until the the next time and the next episode, be safe and be loving. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to Paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.